And it's become encouraged now to feminize men. If they want to feminize their men, they can do it, but they're not going to feminize our men. Stay within reason. Doesn't mean we have to become, uh, you know, barbarians, obviously not. We have to be sophisticated, yet, but manly. My children, I'll give you guys a quick anecdote. One of my sons on, on Valentine's Day, they showed him a movie, a romantic movie. And my son's 10 years old, about one guy falling in love with another. So he comes home. My kids, they're op open book, especially when we're driving to the gym. I let them talk to me about anything. So my son's like, ah, you know, watch this movie. And two guys were kissing each other. So me and my friend were laughing. And everybody got angry with us because we were laughing. And they were telling me it's normal. It's normal. It's normal. They were telling me, the, the kids. The kids in the class were like, like, why are you laughing? It's not right. And the teacher was telling my son, oh, it's okay if you're gay. If you're gay, you know, like you could say, we're, me and my son, <laughs> my sons, my two sons, we're like, that's, we're, we're like, that's pretty weird, man. That's pretty weird. These kids haven't even gone through puberty yet. I sent my <laughs> kid to school to learn math, science, history, philosophy, uh, you know, ethics, uh, you know, the basics. Why are you showing them on Valentine's Day a, a story about a man falling in love with a man? Now, listen, there are gay people in the world. I tell my kids, look, there are gay people. You're going to see it. But I said, we're not gay. I also I tell them straight up. And I'm not ashamed. I tell if your teacher, tell your teacher that I told him you're heterosexual. And if he has a problem with that, to call me. There's another thing too. It's it's the perseverance aspect too. Like we're more willing to stick through with things that we set out with an intention. It's impossible to have empathy for others if you're not patient. So my love, bless you for that. First of all, I agree with the fact that the whole thing you said about friends, where it's like if, if they're affecting you more than you're affecting them, then you should probably get some new friends. You want to be investing stocks, shares, bonds. You want to be investing in crypto because there's this thing called inflation which means every year that passes by, the value of a dollar goes lower and lower and lower. And the reason being is because they're printing more money, right? That's why money is haram. At least the paper money is haram. Provided that you're actually there and you're being a good father and the mother's being a good mother, best conditions. Don't want to be on YouTube or the internet or anything that, that amount of time. But it's, it's, the, the fact is that's what we're doing. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the realest podcast in the dunya with the three Muslims. Assalamu alaikum. So, Akifras, it's been a couple months since our last talk, eh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, yes. A long, long time. Man, what's changed uh, in the meanwhile? Uh, Canada's been mad with the. With uh, COVID, the restriction fever, and uh, it's just been a battle. Uh, it's just been been quite insane, but uh, luckily, the last few months we've uh, reopened the gym fully, and things have bounced back. Alhamdulillah, and I'm um, getting things back on on the way on the way. Perfect, perfect. Before we go into health, fitness, MMA, all that, what do you think are the two most important things for men today? For men today, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, first get a six pack up here, and then worry about the six pack down here. I, I feel like uh, no, no. You should have uh, you know you should have uh, time for study and learning and time for fitness. But both are equally important. I think today the trend is being you know physically fit, but not so uh, educationally fit. Let's put it. You know, I think both are supremely equally important. They both add to richness in life, being healthy, but also being mentally uh, well uh, well tutored. I should say. So that's one thing. What's the second thing? That was the second thing, physical and mental. But I feel today ah, people are okay. too much got on the it. physical, you know? Got it. They got just it, want to be it. physical, mm-hmm. physical, physical. They have uh, Instagram fever. I try to avoid Instagram, you know, because it's just, it's just I mean, it's so much pollution out there. But it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, but it's equal. It's actually a greater experience or equally great, I should say. I, I don't want to, uh, but to, to also experience life uh, in an intellectual way. It's, it's supremely important. Okay. I think a multifaceted approach is what most men are lacking today. They're lacking this balance. So that being said, what does masculinity mean to you? I think masculinity is super important, but there is a, a, there's a level of masculinity that can become toxic. So, you know, you hear that term toxic masculinity. If you, uh, I don't know, if you sit down too, too manly, you're toxic. I don't, I don't, I think there's a balance. You want to be manly, but not too overly manly. Like you shouldn't be spitting on the floor and, uh, you know, cursing everything. <laughs> there's a healthy level of masculinity, which is important. I think that the, the mainstream cultures are losing it. They're losing it fast. They're losing it fast. And it's become uh, encouraged now to feminize men. And if they want to feminize their men, they can do it. But they're not going to feminize our men. Uh, we should, uh, you know, stay within reason. Doesn't mean we have to become, uh, you know, uh, barbarians. Obviously not. We have to be sophisticated yet, but manly. My children, I'll give you guys a quick anecdote. One of my sons on, on Valentine's Day, they showed him a movie, a romantic movie. And my son's 10 years old about one guy falling in love with another. So he comes home. My kids, they're open book, especially when we're driving to the gym. I let them talk to me about anything. There's no topic that they can't bring up. So my son's like, ah, you know, watch this movie. And two guys were kissing each other. So me and my friend were laughing. And everybody got angry with us because we were laughing. And they were telling me it's normal. It's normal. It's normal. They were telling me the, the kids, the kids in the class were like, like, why are you laughing? It's not right. And, the teacher was telling my son, oh, it's okay if you're gay. If you're gay, you know, like you could say, we're, me and my son, <laughs> my sons, my two sons, were like, that's we're, we're like, that's pretty weird, man. That's pretty weird. These kids haven't even gone through puberty yet. I sent my <laughs> kid to school to learn math, science, history, philosophy, uh, you know, a- a- ethics, uh, you know, the basics. Why are you showing them on Valentine's Day a, a story about a man falling in love with a man? Now, listen, there are gay people in the world. I tell my kids, look, there are gay people. You're going to see it. But I said, we're not gay. I also I tell them straight up. And I'm not ashamed. I tell if your teacher, tell your teacher that I told him you're heterosexual and if he has a problem with that, to call me. <laughs> no, seriously. I'm 100% serious. I told him, I said, if he does not happy with the fact that you're, tell, tell, your, tell your teacher, look him in the eye and tell him, look, I'm 100% heterosexual. I said, use the term super straight. I taught him what the term super straight is. And don't be shy about it all. Don't be apologetic ab- about it at all. Tell him we're straight. And I tell my son, you know why you're straight? Think about what if your father was gay? Where would you be? You wouldn't exist. 
tell your teacher that there's something special when a man and a woman fall in love together. You know what that special thing is? They create life. They create life. So there's something unique about when a man and woman get together, they can create life. They propagate life. We think life is beautiful. I think the progeny is the most important. They, they, the Western world has become, I'm the most important thing in the world. So whatever makes me happy. If I'm gay, oh, well, that makes me happy. That's what I'm going to do. The Muslim world is saying, no. The collective is the most important. The Muslim body is the most important. What's the healthiest for us is to prop- propagate our, our, our progeny and teach them Islam. And that is more important than me, the individual. And therefore, I'm going to raise, because don't forget, you can culturize. We're going to talk about, yes, yeah, some people might be born gay. Yes, that's true. But most, a lot of it could be culturalized. And anybody want to debate me on this, please, please do. I can't wait till we have this debate. Uh, the Spartans, it was mandatory to be gay. The Spartans, you know, people, ah, I'm a Spartan. You sure you want to be a Spartan? Are you sure you want to be a Spartan? <laughs> it was mandatory to be homosexual as a Spartan. You can raise a child to be homosexual like you could raise a child to be heterosexual. Now, I'm not saying that it never happens that you try to raise a child heterosexual and he turns out to be homosexual. I'm not saying that. I'm saying by and large, by and large, mm-hmm. and listen to what I'm saying. Please don't misquote me here. You can influence a child at a young age to what sexual orientation he will have. I tell my sons, I'm doing you guys the biggest favor I think I can do, and I'm teaching you to be heterosexual. You know why? So you can do the greatest thing a human being can do in this dunya is raise a family. Now you tell me what's the greater good? Being in a relationship with somebody of the same sex or being in a relationship with the opposite sex and we can create a family. Nothing is more important to me than my family. Not my sexual, my personal sexual life. My family is number one on every scope except my religion. There's my religion, then there's my family. Everything else takes uh, place number three. Now, when you're propagating a homosexual culture, you're teaching your children to be gay. You're saying, look, you, the individual, is more important than the collective. Okay, that's your way of life. I tell my sons, don't argue with them. That's their way of life. That's fine. Our way of life is us, the collective, is more important than the individual. If you want to jump ship, you think you're more important than the collective, jump ship. But you're going to miss out on the greatest human experience in this dunya you can have is a loving family. There's nobody that ever raised a successful loving family that said, you know what? I would trade this loving family for this thing in the dunya or this. No, there's no human being who ever had a successful loving family. He, 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 he sidestepped all the pitfalls, all the dangers that can hurt a family. I don't know if you guys noticed, but everything in Islam that's haram is harmful to a family. And everything that is halal helps the family grow. I don't know if you guys noticed, but in the Quran, everything that is forbidden harms the family. Mm. How many millions of, no, how many billions of children have been saved from fetal alcohol syndrome? You know that women, they drink alcohol when they're pregnant and oftentimes it's unknowingly. They're pregnant, first trimester, they're drinking alcohol. And are you guys aware of fetal alcohol syndrome? (laughs) How many, you know that when they do studies on fetal alcohol syndrome, they exclude Muslim countries. Muslim countries have no fetal alcohol syndrome. There are no children in Islam, in Muslim countries, that are harmed by alcohol. Yet in the West, in other cultures, there is a, it's a major problem. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. 
how many billions of people did the Quran save from fetal alcohol syndrome? Everything that is haram in the Quran is bad for the family. Now, I tell my children, the family is first and then it's the individual. This is our way of life. This is what I'm teaching you. And I tell them that this is going to bring you to a higher level of happiness and a closer relationship with understanding your God. Then if you put yourself first and the family second, then if you do that, in my opinion, you're going to build your own personal hell in this life and in the next. A person who's in out for himself, it won't be long, but we figure out that person is a selfish member of this group. And he puts his interests before the collective. And we're going to push him out of the collective slowly. And it's going to be a type of uh, uh, difficult experience. Because every human being has a deep connect, a deep desire for belonging to a group. You know, Adam salam, was in the Garden of Eden, yet he felt lonely. He felt a weakness. He needed companionship. We are all built to connect with one another. So the ultimate connection is the human family. So I asked my sons, where would you be if I was gay? You wouldn't exist, right? Checkmate, I tell them. So <laughs> the favor I did for you, the troubles I had raising a family, the sacrifices I made for this family to be successful, I expect you to pass it on and do the same. And you're going to get an intrinsic reward for it. You're going to have a successful family, inshallah. And if your peers want to be gay, that's their culture, their business, their religion, their philosophies. And there's more women for us. If they're gay, there's more women for us. <laughs> Don't argue with them. Don't fight with them. Don't, that's their prerogative. But that's it. That's how I see it. That's how I tackle the, the issue. I got I got 10% better here. So uh, You got a what? I got 10% better. So I'm going to throw, oh. I'm gonna throw my questions out here. Inshallah. <laughs> Go for it, bro. But Jazakallah, that was a beautiful answer. <laughs> thank you man thank you. all right man so question <laughs> number one you have spoken about this before in your podcast mm. uh, but in your opinion what are the ranks of all the martial arts if you had to put it in like mm. categories i think i think the most fundamental and we're talking about a fight here like there's no time limit we're fighting me and you're fighting till one guy is finished. Yeah, self-defense. Self-defense. We'll say that. I would say that ultimately you need jujitsu because whether you do kickboxing or wrestling, it's very hard to finish a jujitsu guy. The only thing that beats jujitsu is jujitsu mixed with something else. That's how I see it. So I think you need you don't need to be a black belt in jujitsu, but you need to know some level of jujitsu. Then you can mix it with boxing or wrestling or kickboxing or Muay Thai. And then you have an even more powerful art. But the most fundamental martial art, in my opinion, is jujitsu. Then after that, it's the hybrids. After that is the what? The hybrids, the mixture, the ah, mixed okay, arts, okay, mixing okay. two arts together. Got it, got it. But the fundamental ingredient, in my opinion, by and large, if you put if, if you put a hundred martial artists versus a hundred jujitsu guys, the jujitsu guys win ninety percent of the time. And I mean yeah. this is we have ample evidence of this. I heard about that because when I was training before I injured myself. My coach would always say, like, if you're if you're fighting with someone and y'all are striking, there's a there's a chance the other person can get lucky. They sure. can hit you very like in the perfect spot mm -hmm, at the perfect mm -hmm, time. Mm -hmm. But if you're grappling, there's no chance that you're gonna get lucky. It's, it's all skill. It's much less likely. 
yeah. it's much less likely you fall into a submission. It's very, it's let's just say it's much less likely. You're right. Yeah. Absolutely, it's a very good point. Yeah. All right. So, with that being said, next question. Uh, and this is something that I've been kind of playing with, just an idea. But in your opinion, because you've been in this field for a very long time now, alhamdulillah, you said, or not you said, but uh, can someone become truly well-versed in self-defense without ever training strikes to the face or avoiding strikes to the face? Um, you can. You can be very well-versed, but in my opinion, you will never be as well-versed as somebody who strikes also to the face. Now, I think I have a feeling where you're going with this. It's haram to yeah, strike yeah, in the face. Of course, yeah. I would say that, look, you look at that hadith. Was it talking about sports training? I don't think so, to be honest with you. Um, I think it was referring to when you get angry with somebody, you're in a dispute with somebody. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a mufti. Like I'm not the, an expert in, uh, <laughs> in Islamic law, so forgive me. You know, my domain is philosophy. But from what I can gather... It's, you know, if I get angry with you and I slap you in the face, that's a totally haram. There's no two ways about it. However, if me and you are boxing and we're practicing and I'm not, my intention is not to hurt you, but to learn how to protect myself and train you and you train me. And we're having this, uh, I, don't, I don't think any sheikh will say that boxing training is haram. I don't know if there is, but I, I'm sure there are many muftis that would say boxing training is a different context. And as long as you're not trying to hurt each other, not trying to deface each other. Like I box every single day, pretty much every single day. And when I spar, it's like kind of touch sparring. We call it touch. You know, it's just playful sparring. It's not, we're not hurting each other. We're not injuring each other. It's not a real strike per se. It's a controlled movement. And I, I, I don't think that would be haram. I don't think any sheikh who sees what we do and understands what we do would say that that's haram. No, that's with the intention of ameliorating ourselves. And if we ever have to defend our friends and family or we ever have to fight for whatever cause that's, that's fair, uh, we'd be ready for it. I mean, uh, I mean, the Sahaba trained. You know, they trained. They did train, and they were rough. You know, they were tough. They were very, uh, you know, physical. Um, so I think the equivalent of that, today, if they had the safety equipment we have, if they had the, you know, the arts we have, I think they would practice. I'm not saying they would compete in MMA, but I think they would practice the most uh, practical arts, and then mm -hmm. boxing would definitely be one of them. It makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, a lot of times when I try to play with this idea, it, it's always just theoretical. You know mm. what I'm saying? Like, when you get into a fight, like, you could want to avoid strikes to the face as much as possible, but that doesn't mean the other person is. Mm. You know, and if you've never trained to avoid a strike to the face, mm. you're probably going to get hit in the face. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in uh, martial arts, we have something called kyokushin, where they strike only to the body. And then when they convert later to boxing, they always have a hard time, but quickly, they quickly catch up. Like, for instance, George St. Pierre is, uh, you know, uh, uh, he's one of the greatest, probably the greatest MMA fighter in all time. I, I know him very well. I've trained with him for, tw you know, 20 years now. He did striking to the body for a very young age, for a very long time, and semi-contact to the head. So very little striking to the head. Let's just put it that way. And he became a world champion several times over. But when we converted him to head striking, I mean, there was a learning period. There was an adjustment period. And there are other uh, world champions that went through the same path. Um, but they caught up very quickly. Why? They know the distance. They know the kicking and punching. They have everything except there's an adjustment period. So like my kids, I make them hit only to the body. No head strikes at all. But as they get older, we're going to make that adjustment. So there is a need for it. There's definitely a need for it. But it doesn't mean that 
if you only strike to the body, you're at zero. No, no, no. You can get to a very adequate level, but you won't get to an elite level unless you go uh, strike to the head. You'd have to be a very unique person to reach elite level without body strikes. Uh, excuse me, without striking to the head. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense 100%. All right, man. So another question. I, I wrote them all down because I, I, oh, cool. I had to get my, my thoughts cool. to you, bro. Cool, man. So the next one is... uh. In one of your podcasts, you had said that when you train, uh, you will do the martial arts, and then after the martial arts, you'll hit your set of pull-ups, or you might hit your yep. set of squats, something like that. How have you noticed the effectiveness in that regard versus, like, let's say, structuring uh, a program where you have a specific time frame geared for, like, okay, I'm going to do a full-body workout maybe twice a week versus, mm -hmm. oh, I'm training martial arts every single day, maybe multiple times a day, but then I'm adding so-and-so exercises after each of my MMA trainings. Like periodizing, right? Yeah. Yeah, periodization. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think fitness has to be complementary to your martial arts skills. So for instance, it depends. If I'm training you from, from a very young age, if you tell me how to train this athlete, he's five years old, and take him to a world championship when he's in his 20s, I would say, okay, I would spend the first few years on fitness. Why? I'm teaching him how to move his body how to lift, how to push, how to explode, how to sidestep. I would teach him all sorts of, uh, I would teach him gymnastics, uh, track and field. I would spend my time on that because before I, if I, before I teach him the intricacies of how to throw a punch, he still doesn't even know how to move his arm in a circle. Like he's very young. Okay. I would start with the basics. However, after a certain age, if you're 20 years old, you tell me train this guy. I could spend two, three years of training you fitness, but your potential to become a super athlete is pretty much past. Because if you didn't do athletics at a very young age, we're talking about athletics, not, not physical looks. Okay, because you can, you can go from uh, looking like a regular Joe to a ripped, shredded Arnold Schwarzenegger in, in, in any age, at any age, okay? Especially if we're adding hormones to the, to the recipe, okay? So people take hormones. I'm talking about building world-class skill in somebody. That's a very different topic. I'm talking about like taking you to a world championship in jiu-jitsu or boxing and winning. I would have to spend a lot of time in that sport because it takes many years to, to master the sport itself. Now, I'm doing it without first building you to be a super athlete because training somebody to become a super athlete in their 20s is very difficult. And you're running out of time. Like, when's he going to get his black belt in jiu-jitsu? It takes 10 years. So I like to start with the martial art as soon as possible if I'm training an adult. And then after the workout, after the martial arts workout, because martial arts workout always first, then we'll, we'll bench press, we'll squat, we'll, we'll throw the med ball, we'll, we'll go on the rowing machine. We'll do something complementary to enhance his athleticism. But just doing jiu-jitsu or boxing is already going to help me enhance his athleticism. Uh -huh. So I really feel like we need to do a lot of both. We need to do a lot of conditioning and a lot of the sport. Whatever your goal is. You want to be a boxer, you want to be a Thai guy, you want to be... But you need to do first things first the first thing is the martial art mm -hmm. and then i do the fitness behind it um there, there are various ways to approach but i mean if you if, let's say i do five rounds of sparring and then i go and I, I i take a break i take a shake i relax and i do i don't know 10 sets of deadlift i think that's a very good combination why i'm doing the sport i'm making the sport second nature i'm doing it every day i'm spending hours and hours practicing on my skills and then I take a break. I like to recharge. I like to take a carbohydrate-rich uh, carbohydrate drink, protein-rich drink, give my body some nutrients, and then I like to maybe deadlift, 
Maybe I do sit-ups. Maybe I do pull. I'll, I'll change. I'll, I'll create a lot of variety in my fitness. Now I'm putting muscle on. I'm developing my athleticism. But to do, let's say, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, athleticism, Tuesday, Thursday, jiu-jitsu, and then Saturday, jiu-jitsu. In my opinion, you're only training jiu-jitsu three times a week. I'm training jiu-jitsu six times a week. You will never catch up to me. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Even if you just take one day a week and you do fitness, and I take that one day a week and I'm doing jiu-jitsu, at the end of the year, I have 50 classes more than you. Let's say you take two weeks off for holidays or whatever. You're sick one week. whatever. I have about 50 workouts. After three, four years, I'm at hundreds of workouts more than you. You will never catch up to me now. Yeah. You if, spoke about this on uh, Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just the numbers, it's volume. At the end of the day, I have more jujitsu experience than you or boxing experience, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, true. So I'm going to ask, just kind of clarify something here, and then I'm going to turn my camera off. I'm going to try to set something up so I can put my, my setup here charging so I don't die out on you guys. But sure. just to clarify, uh, number one, Obviously, your focal intention, that's going to be the biggest determining factor here. So, like, if you're focusing on your MMA, your skills and all that stuff, then your fitness has to be geared towards that. It can't be geared towards, like, for instance, powerlifting, hypertrophy, or whatever other reason someone will be weight training for. Maybe uh, Olympic lifting or something like that, right? But in, in your experience thus far of doing this, how has your results been in terms of, uh, let's say, strength potential and, let's say, hypertrophy potential while you've been training in this aspect where you do your MMA first and then you might add in, let's say, the uh, 10 sets of deadlifting? Well, think about it like this, okay? There, there are many facets to fitness, but let's separate it in two just to make it super simple. There's power and then there's endurance. I first have, have to have power and then I want to keep that power going for a long time, hence endurance i don't want to keep i don't want to keep a weak level i don't want to have this a weak level of power and keep that going for a long time no 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 no. i need a lot of power i need a lot of power in round one and then i need endurance because i want to have power in round three i want that power to maintain i never want that power to go down (laughs) and that's what fitness is about it's about having a lot of power for a very long time Mm. every time i train power sorry every time i train power fitness goes down a little bit that's how you have to think about it. Every time I train fitness, fitness or endurance. Uh, so what did I say? Power, uh, power. Uh, then fitness goes down. You mean like endurance? Goes uh, yeah, down, I right? meant, I'm sorry. I meant yeah. endurance. Pardon me. Every time I train power, I do deadlifts, Olympic lifts. My endurance goes down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Every time I train endurance, my power goes down a little bit. That's right. So we call this chasing your tail. Mm-hmm. So let's say I run every day for six months. I'm running two miles a day for six months. My endurance is gonna sorry, my endurance is gonna go up. My power is gonna be down here. You're gonna go back on the squat rack and be like, hey, I can't squat what I used to squat. Yeah, because you did a lot of endurance. Your power goes down. How do we bring them both up? That's the key. How do we bring them both up? Well, there are various methods. I like the conjugate method. One day I'm working, one day I'm working on my power. Sorry, was that was that endurance? One day I'm working on my power, the next day I'm working on my endurance. And yes, my power goes down a little bit, but the day after that, I'm working on my power again. And then I'm working on my endurance. And I'm seesawing them up slowly. I'm, I'm bringing them from here. And I'm seesawing one up and then the other. Okay, But they're going to seesaw back and forth. How do I know which one I need? Well, when I spar, if I feel like round one, I'm taking guys down and I'm punching really hard. But after round three, I'm, I'm, I'm dying out. Well, I feel I need more endurance. 
if in round one, I feel not, I don't feel very strong. I don't feel like when I punch, I'm not really strong and I'm getting tired. That means you need power. So I'm a big believer in low impact plyometrics done correctly. And I'm a big believer in interval training. I think that these two can help you build adequate levels of power and adequate levels of endurance and incredible body composition, meaning high muscle, low fat. So one thing I like to do after practice, I recommend to guys, is just do a Tabata. 20 seconds of sprints, 10 seconds rest, repeat eight times. That's a very good way to build uh, endurance, but it's also a power type of endurance. It's a, it's a, I, I like also doing a 200-meter sprints, one-minute break. Yes, I'm shooting up the heart rate, but I'm building an explosive type of endurance. Okay, It's always power-oriented. And then some days I might do Olympic lifts. Some days I might do bench press. Sometimes I might do kettlebell swings. Sometimes I might go heavy. But I fluctuate between the two. I go endurance, power, endurance, power. I never do just power, and I never do just endurance. I'm always doing the two, and I'm surprising my body. Every day I go in the gym, and I surprise my, my body with a, with a new workout. My body never knows. I'm never, I never do the same workout twice. And why? Because I'm not trying to master lifting weights. I'm not trying to master track and field. I'm not trying to master gymnastics. I'm trying to master martial arts. So when I do my martial arts routine, I'm doing the same thing every day and I'm, ex I'm adding a new thing here and there and then I drill it till I know it. I can do it in my, my eyes closed. I've rehearsed it. I've greased the groove. I've made that movement so, I've done it so many times that when the moment comes, I'm going to execute. When it comes to fitness, I'm all over the place. Why? I never want my body to adapt. I want my body always to be um, surprised by the workout. Today, I did some uh, stretch band. Like I pulled up on a, st a stretch band. I did kettlebell swing. I did some pull-ups. I did some overhead press. I'll never do that workout again. Some days I do deadlifts with push-ups. Sometimes I do deadlifts with the medicine ball toss. Sometimes I do deadlift with clean and jerk. That's more precise, more power. I'll never do that same workout again. I'll use deadlift in a different type of mix, but I'll never really do that same workout again. I'm always surprising the body with general fitness. And when it comes to my sport, I'm doing the same movements every day. I'm making them super precise. It's kind of like, aside from the MMA training, the uh, training that you do with, you know, uh, weightlifting or bodyweight training and high intensity interval training, it's very similar to intuitive training where it's like you're just mm -hmm. kind of doing what like you really feel is appropriate in the time being for your body. At that Correct. Time. You listen to your body and you see like what do I feel that I need and what is my goal? You know, I got to work backwards. I always recommend people train first thing in the morning. Make your mm -hmm. peace with it. You wake up, you do your, make your salah and then you train. Or maybe you go back to bed, but then when you wake up for work, you have to make time for training first thing in the morning. Why? That's the most energy you have in the day. Once you wake up, you brush your teeth, you have a little snack. That's it. That's the max. There's, it's only downhill from here, the energy. Now is the time. And also when you train in the morning, you fire your metabolism up for the rest of the day. You get the most bang for your buck. Wake up in the morning. I really recommend kettlebell or body weight training, whatever. If you're like a nine to fiver, if you're, if you're not like in the gym every day, like me, you don't have time. Put a kettlebell in the corner of your room, wake up. Don't pass that kettlebell without training. Your training could be anywhere from four minutes to 10 minutes to five minutes. Work out every day. Learn the, learn how to do exercises precisely. Read the book, Supple Leopard. I'll put the book in the, mm, I read there. the entire book, by the way. 
This is a very important book. This is such an important book. It teaches you how to take care of your body. Okay. Most people get injured when they train. They train incorrectly. If you train correctly, you will get fit. You will stay young. Guys, I'm 41 years old. I still wrestle with guys in their in their peak. They're 21 years old. They've been training the whole life. I go in there and I wrestle with them every single day. I box with them every single day. I bring guys world-class fighters. I train with them every single day. And we go, we 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 scrap. And I'm 41 years old. There's very few 41-year-olds who can do that. The secret is, alhamdulillah, the secret is training properly. And it's not a secret. That I mean, that book tells you how to keep your body healthy. Training consistently and eating correctly. That's also something we should talk about. Eating correctly. Super important. Mm. Fitness. There is no excuse. Make your peace with it, man. You're going to train every day, five to six times a week. You will train. I don't care if your tr- workout is four minutes. You got to do a Tabata. At least a Tabata a day. Four-minute workout. Like, if you're not going to give your health, four minutes, man. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't care if it's burpees for four minutes. I don't care if it's squats for four minutes. And here is the key. I want you guys to all understand. Here is the key. Don't overdo it. Go one step at a time. Don't work out on Monday and mess your body up that Tuesday you can't work out. Mm-hmm. Work out 60% on Monday until you get comfortable with 60% and then you can ramp it up to 70 and then 80 and then 85. Once you get to 85, you could fluctuate between 80 and 95. But never go 100% on day one. You know why? On Wednesday, your knee's going to be hurting. On mm-hmm. Thursday, your neck's going to be hurting. On Friday, you're going to be, oh, my back is sore. I can't get out of bed. Well, guess what? Now we're not training. All this go hard or go home stuff is put it in the garbage for a second, okay? It's consistency over intensity. Train every day, eat well, and you won't age until you're in your 70s. Guys, I'm 41. My body works the same as when I was 20. The body, My body is the same. It functions the same. I have the same level of energy. I'm just older and wiser, but in the same body. I still wear the same clothes. I don't have bigger size. I know you guys are young. You're not worried about this. But believe me, as you get older, you start, it's going to start creeping up on you. My joints are healthy. My neck is healthy. My spine is healthy. Everything is, alhamdulillah. It's becoming a supple leopard, learning that routine, taking care of your body, exercise first thing in the morning, and eat very well. Alhamdulillah. So that kind of did, in fact, answer my next question, which was going to be when I used to train in the morning, I was against that because I'd be, forget like not being able to train the next day. I couldn't do anything else that same day. <laughs> I couldn't study. I couldn't get anything done. I couldn't even make meals. I was like, just knocked mm-hmm. out. But then I thought about yeah. it. And I was like, you're right. Yeah. I'm going like 200% in mm-hmm. the morning. I always think, tell, look, how, how do people become fat? Well, eating is pleasurable. It's pleasure. I go to McDonald's. Oh, it's so good. You know, you go to this restaurant. You go to, oh, the food is so good. Mm, so good. You got to do the same thing, but backwards. You got, your, your workout should make you feel good. I'm going to work out just enough that I feel good. So here's the thing. If if you work out too little, you didn't have any impact on you. You didn't make you feel worse or better. If you work out too much, think about Goldilocks, the Goldilocks. If you work out too much, you're sore, you're injured. Oh, man, I'm torturing myself. I'm making my life miserable. That's not going to work either. In the long run, you're going to quit. If I train the right amount, it has a tonic effect. A tonic effect is like when you drink a coffee. You feel more energized than before you started your workout. So let's say you wake up, you're at a seven. After your workout, you should feel like at an eight. 
meaning 10, you're super charged up with energy. You just had five espressos. And one, you're lethargic, uh, laying down on the couch. You just ate fried chicken. You feel horrible. <laughs> Food coma. That's one. When you wake up, if you're a six or a seven, after your workout, you should cut the workout when you feel like an eight. You should feel a high. Exercise creates energy. The right amount, excuse me, let me correct that. The right amount of exercise creates energy. So if you, if you wake up out of bed and you're a seven of, of energy and I make you do 20, 30 jumping jacks, you're going to go 7.2, 7.5. Then maybe I make you hit the bag. I really believe it. You should shout out. I love boxing as a workout. I love it. Boxing for one minute, then push-ups for one minute, then boxing for one minute, then sit-ups for one minute, then lunges for one minute. Then like I like minute intervals. I really like that in the morning workout because you don't need any equipment. Now, if you have a, a punching bag, that's even better. I always say the best cardio is bag, bag work. Why? Because you, you pump your heart, you work all your muscles, you shed the fat, you burn the fat, and it's fun, and it's also self-defense. If one day you need it, boom, you're packing the punch. You've been training that punch. If you ever need to defend yourself, you have a punch there wait, waiting for you. Like you, you can throw a punch. Okay, It's a skill I think every man should have. Mm. So your fitness... You know, you go through your routine. My, I'm fully charged now. I'm ready for my day. I go and I shower. I brush my teeth. I feel amazing. However, if you overdo it, you feel horrible. You go to work and you can't function. Well, you overdid it. Now you shot yourself in the foot. I want to work out just enough that tomorrow I have some more. That is the secret to sticking with your fitness program because it becomes addictive. If I don't train guys for two, three days, I don't feel right. I feel horrible. I don't know how people live day-to-day -day without fitness because I personally just don't feel well. When I train too much, I feel I feel horrible. I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm hurting. It's training. There's a Goldilocks level for everybody. And your level will change. As the fitter you are, the more dose you need. It's like somebody who takes a drug. After a few years, they need more of that drug to get the same high. Well, this is a positive high. You need a little more exercise. Well, that's good. I'm getting fitter. and I'm, But I'm getting that energetic tonic effect. So I highly recommend people work in that Goldilocks zone. It's super important. And if you take somebody who works in the Goldilocks zone versus somebody who goes big or go home type attitude, kill it or, you know, that guy, the guy who's the, the you know, the bravado guy, he trains a lot less than the guy who trains in the Goldilocks zone. At the end of the year, if you map, if you, if you count how much they train, how much energy mm. they expend, how much they practice, the guy in the Goldilocks zones far out does the guy who's the bite, bite your teeth and grit through. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of athletes do that. But you have to understand, they have a different motivation and they're doing it for a short period of time. Like they have a bout. So they're waking up, they have that energy. They wake up, man. Oh, man, I'm nervous about this fight. And, they, and the only thing that can calm those nerves down and it's, it's to train really, really hard. And don't, don't forget, those guys have years of experience from training before they have these big fights for money that they can take that amount of training. But if you take a regular guy who's training at a, at a C level and you want to take him to an A-plus level, you have to take him gradually. Because if you don't, you're going to break him. Like, he's literally going to get injured. He's going to break his knee. He's going to injure his neck. Like, he's, he's going to break down. Like, he's not going to be able to take that level of training for a prolonged period of time. It won't be long before the guy starts telling you, look, I have, I need a surgery because you broke my labor or I dislocated my elbow. Like it's something like if we're talking about combat sports, like it won't be long before you get injured. So you gotta, you gotta create a rhythm. And then of course, when we have fights, we count down the weeks and we push it even further, but we're flirting with injury. Yes, we are. But my point is why flirt with injury? If you're not fighting for $500,000, like why flirt mm -hmm. with injury? 
You know, like uh, it's a, you're training for life. Like if I told you, hey guys, you got to run for life. Are you gonna sprint? You're running for life, so take your time. Like 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 build, pace yourself, pace yourself, and you'll go a lot further. You'll cover a lot more miles. And once in a while, of course, we flirt with ninety five uh, percent of uh, of of intensity. Intensity is how hard you're going. But I'm not always at those intensities. I fluctuate back down. You know, I grapple every day, guys. I go live every day. I know a lot of jiu-jitsu guys, they train every day, but they don't go live, meaning they don't wrestle every day. They, it's just like they go through, uh, a lot of them do technique, they teach a private, and then they lift a little weights and they go home. I go live every day. To go mm -hmm. live every day, if I killed myself every day, it won't be long before I, I'm, I'm totally injured from head to toe. You know, So it, it's just, you got to train in a way that's sustainable. All right. Alhamdulillah. Anhala Rami, so y'all got any questions or should we talk about you? In order for that to even occur, the person has to, number one, put the ego aside. Number two, hmm. they can't be, you know, a real structured program. Because let's say uh, your program consists of you going to the gym and you're going to be hitting like five sets of pull-ups, uh, four sets of, uh, let's say, dumbbell bench press. And then you got maybe dips or you got, I don't know, something else. Right, like having this structure would then entail the person saying, "Oh, well, I got to finish this exactly how it's saying," mm. versus being intuitive, like how I said earlier, having that intuitive style of training. Because, mm -hmm. like you said, if you do, let's say, three sets of pull-ups, and then you feel that heightened sense of energy, heightened sense of overall well-being, you could be like, oh, "Okay, I could finish right now, and mm. I will be good." And I know tomorrow I could come in and do something else. Yeah. But then it's like, there's always that feeling like, ah, oh, but like, I feel good right now. Like, mm -hmm. let's keep going. Let's push a little bit more. So like, well, what, what does that realistically look like for someone? Think, if think they about wanted it. to slowly increase their workload and just okay. be able to do more. I think I got a good answer for you. Imagine, let's think about the jump shot. You're playing basketball and you want a jump shot. You want to be the best three-point guy in the world. And you've decided that you're going to jump shot every day. You're going to do jump shots every single day. You're going to work on it. You're not going to be the best dunker. You're not going to be the best passer. You're not going to be the best rebound guy. You're fascinated with three-point shot, and you want everybody to know you're the greatest three-point guy in the world. Okay. If I was training you, I would make you do three-point shots every day. However, once your three-pointers dip below 70, so you're getting six out of 10, that's the end of the workout. Once your form starts to dip, so you feel good, okay, we'll shoot more baskets. I'm not going to tell you to stop. You're on fire. I'm not going to tell you to stop. But once you dip below 70, you're scoring 6 out of 10. If you're at 9 out of 10, I'm not going to stop you, man. Keep going, man. Have fun. When your body's tired, there's going to be a sign. Hmm. When you're below 70, I know that if I keep making you do jump shots... Now I'm going to pollute your firing sequences. I'm, you're teaching your body to shoot the wrong way. I want to only do things the right way. I either do it the right way or I don't do it at all. Why? Because if I do it the wrong way, it's like if I've taught my body two different ways to do it. And my body's like, oh, we're low on energy today. Run this program. That's how I see it. It's going to do the wrong one, whatever. That's what we've learned. I never allow my body to do it the wrong way. As a matter of fact, George St. Pierre, one of the greatest martial artists ever, he says he won't even watch a fight if the guy doesn't fight well. He's going to avert his eyes. Why? He doesn't want to see, even show his body somebody doing something wrong. You know, I find that to be extreme. 
but I like to learn from everybody. And he is the greatest martial artist in history. And like he used to walk up to me and says, don't watch this fight. The guy doesn't fight well. But I want to watch it. I, don't watch it. He tells me. Why? It's going to give you bad folds, he tells me. It's gonna give, and I think that's ludicrous because I would never do what he just did, that guy. But in George Shapiro's mind, and I think he may be right. I may be wrong. I, you know, I, I, I'm hearing myself sing it now. I think it makes a lot more sense now that I say it out loud. When he told me it, I thought it was crazy. But now that I'm saying it to you guys, I actually think it makes a lot of sense. I have to think about <laughs> it again. But he doesn't even want to watch a guy who fights wrong. He either, you're going to do it right or don't do it. So if you're doing your fitness, your pull-ups, if you read The Supple Leopard, the guy's telling you, this is how you do a perfect pull-up. This is how you do a perfect dip. Once you're below 70, guys, it's time to call the day, the workout. Time to call it. Save it for tomorrow. So whenever your form starts to dip, the weight is too heavy or you've done too many reps, lower the weight or lower the reps. And if you can't and your form is still off, go home. The workout is over. Tomorrow is another day and think long term. So that's another great way to think about fitness. Never. Like, I'll tell you guys something. Today I was rolling. And after the second round, I felt like I was, I was tired because I had trained in the morning. So today my body, it was taxed. Okay, let's just say it needed a break. I took a break. I took one round off. So it's a seven-minute seven break. So the round six minutes, one-minute break. So I took seven minutes. I went back and I did another roll. And now I was charged up again. So I was above 70% of my capability. But if my capability ever dips below 70, I stop the workout. I skip the next round. I recharge or I go home. So I want you guys to always remember that you never want to be doing your boxing workout looking like this. Like you never want to push yourself that far that you look like a drunken master. You know what I mean? <laughs> or whatever you're doing, it's either be done right or lower the intensity, lower the difficulty, or take a break and recharge and do it again, or go home. But don't work in a sloppy fashion. Understood. <laughs> Amazing <laughs> answers, man. So I guess the only question that I would have, the last one, is like, how do you deal with injuries? You know, because... Yes. I've had a groin injury for a few months now, man. And mm. mashallah, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not uh, upset because I've learned a lot through this. It's taught me a lot. But I would, you know, I'm trying to heal back up to get back into MMA. Uh, so that's my question. I'm like, well, if you look at the Kelly Starts work in the the book Becoming a Supple Leopard, he says it's two things. Injuries is usually these two things. One, it's uh, you're you're unaligned. There's a structural issue. You have you need alignment. And two, there's a tight muscle. So if you're un misaligned, you're going to create some tension in the system. Mm. Your, your muscles are going to be tight. No human being can be out of alignment and be loose. So we need to always correct alignment, and then we have to make the muscle supple, as he says. Okay, so you need to need you need to need the muscles, and he says you need to need the muscles below and above it. Not only the muscle that hurts, but the ones below it and above it. And then he tells you how to straighten your body, how to neutralize your spine, how to neutralize your neck, um, how to sit, how to stand, how to walk, how to move your body in an aligned fashion. And you will quickly see that your pains will subside. But you have to follow the program. So I would go to chapter seven where he tells you how to work on your groin area. I would do those exercises and I would go into the part where he talks about how to walk, how to climb up, how to walk upstairs, how to sit properly. And you'll notice that aligning your body all the time correctly uh, will lead to a pain-free body. And believe me, I know all about pain. Believe me, like, uh, you know, I've had it all. I've had neck injuries, knee injuries, groin injuries, back, hamstring. 
because you can't avoid injuries per se, but you have to know how to take care of them. And you, can, you can't avoid them at 100% is what I'm trying to say. You can minimize them and um, you can treat them before they become chronic. So if you have something that's hurting you for over a year, now it's becoming chronic. Like you've let it go too far. You got to kind of kill it when it's young and it's just starting. Mm -hmm. So me, every time I feel like something's tied in my body or I feel a pain somewhere, I take care of it till it goes away. I don't let it become a monster. So in your, in your thought pattern, do you think that when you have a certain injury, like let's say, ideologically here if we have a groin injury do you think that it's not really the the groin that's the problem but more so the uh, opposing muscle groups so you would have the the groin is that the adductor or the abductor i always get those two mixed up i'm not sure yeah, i always get that mixed up. <laughs> always get the abductor and adductor but, okay so yeah. you have the muscle that's part of the glute and it's um i think it's called the glute medius the one mm -hmm. that like brings your leg out so would you think that it would be a result of a weak glute medius and maybe something else as weak as causing? It can be. We're never sure. So that's why I love what Kelly Starr says. It says, try it on one side, try it on the other, and always do the opposite muscles as well. So he's telling you, look, hit that area. He calls it above stream and below stream. Don't just hit the target. Hit below it. Hit above it. Hit the opposite muscles. And spend your time needing that area. And sometimes you're going to find a trigger point. You're going to hit a point. You're like, wait a second. I'm hitting this point, And I feel it in going up to my groin. Okay, well, this could be connected. So you massage it out. And he says, look, you always have two sides. So try the other side. If you don't have the tr same trigger point on that other side, that makes sense that that could be the start of your problems. Like, for instance, I, was, I had one of my students on the, on the mat today. He had injured his toe really badly. He had an inflamed toe. And I was telling him how he should treat that and also telling him, be careful, because if you don't take care of that toe, it's going to creep up into your knee because the joints below support the joints above. So if you're joined below, if you're, if you're compensating because of, of an injured toe, the knee is always out of position. Now you don't, you don't have alignment. So how can we be sure where the problem is? Well, Kelly basically tells you, look, hit that whole general area and always test the other side. It will give you an idea. And work it until it disappears. You know, work it until you have no more pain. Work above, work below, work both sides. And look, be be uh, on the lookout for those trigger points. Points where you touch it, you're like, ah, that's something not normal. Okay, massage that out. Take care of it till it's no more. And, um, you know, it's really important to take care of the body because the body, the body is a very important uh, medium to feeling good. You know, if you have back pain, neck pain, it harms the quality of your life. You know, it harms the quality of energy and vitality you have. To be fit is one of the greatest human experiences. You feel energetic. You feel you have vitality. You feel alive. You feel good. You feel optimistic. You feel uh, energized when faced with a problem. Hey, you know what? I have the energy to deal with this. Being run down and having pain, it's very, it can put you in, in a dark state of mind over time. Just like, if the brothers don't have anything else to ask, I figured I'd ask one last question. <laughs> uh, go for it because I feel like your question is relevant to what we're talking about now because I wanted to talk like, about um, eating. Yeah, we should talk about dieting. I think it's a very important topic as well. Dieting? Okay. Yeah. Do you, do you want me to ask this last question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. go for it. Go for it. Of course. Of course, go for it. Okay, so if someone wants to get good at fighting, obviously 
they have to they have to train. Sure. Right? They have to train. Now a few things that they could do is perhaps uh, observation. You know, monkey see monkey do. They mm -hmm. watch professionals fight. Mm -hmm. uh, they watch a lot of skill work. Maybe slow down the videos. Keep mm -hmm. watching it repetitively. Um, what are some other things these people could do though to be able to? I guess you could say progress at a much more rapid pace if they're also doing all the, uh, you know, the, the dotting their eyes and crossing <clears throat> their T's here. Um, you know, I'll tell you that uh, I think about my sport a lot. So I like, you know, every time I learn a move or I learn a sequence, I think of, I go over it in my mind a lot. And I think that's a major help because when you're rehearsing the moves in your mind, you eventually start to think about them at a, at a more, at a deeper level. You know, and then you start to almost connect dots, you know, like, oh, this system works together with this other sequence, you know, like, I don't know, you can learn a, you can learn a guillotine sequence and then you learn an armbar sequence and you kind of put them together. And if the guy escapes your armbar, he falls into the guillotine. If the guy escapes the guillotine, he falls into the armbar. And you just start, you start realizing it's a whole system of, of, of problem solving solutions and you start to see it as a, as a whole. And I think that makes you more um, intelligent in the ring. You have a higher fight IQ so to say. Uh, so observation is one, physical training is one, but also mental rehearsal, like just going over the moves, just thinking about them. Hey, how does this move work? Why does the guy fall when I trip him this way? What makes him fall? Like understanding the principles behind it, I think it makes for a much more creative and uh, enlightened uh, f uh, fighter. Well said. Thank you. Well said, bro. Thank All right. So Bye, bro. Go ahead. Bye. <laughs> Bismillah. So, uh, let's keep uh, the Pareto principle in mind, the 80-20. Just give us the most high-yield things that our lay audience might want to know that want to take their body to, I guess, the sunnah physique. Keep everything cool. Um, and it doesn't need to be exactly what you're currently doing. It's just what you recommend for majority of the lay population. That's crazy because y'all know how like impactful it was. Yeah. Listen, yeah. if you're watching this, it was so... It was such a strong dream that I woke up and then I was talking to my dad and I was crying because of how strong the dream was, how impactful the dream was. And then I ended up driving to uh, the mosque. It was like 540-something to do Fajr at the mosque. And I was crying the entire way to the mosque. And subhanAllah, I think it's crazy that 